0: Welcome to Two Bees in a Podcast, brought to you by the Honeybee Research and Extension Laboratory at the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. It is our goal to advance the understanding of honeybees and beekeeping, grow the beekeeping community and improve the health of honeybees everywhere. In this podcast, you'll hear research updates, beekeeping management practices discussed, And advice on beekeeping from our resident experts, beekeepers, scientists, and other program guests. Join us for today's program, and thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast. In today's episode of Two Bees in a Podcast, we're going to be focusing on the importance of beekeeping literature, specifically popular beekeeping journals, their their importance to beekeepers and the role that they play in bee management. And to do that, we're going to interview Eugene Makovec, who is the editor of the American Bee Journal. We're going to also interview Jerry Hayes, who's the editor of Bee Culture. The American Bee Journal and Bee Culture are our two largest beekeeping magazines or periodicals here in the United States. And we're going to talk to those guys in detail about their uh, periodical specifically, but Amy, I would argue that these things play a very important role in the life of any beekeeper, really around the world.
1: Absolutely, I agree. When I start, and when I first started beekeeping, I don't, I guess I don't realize what resources I had available to me at the time. So lucky you listeners get all this information just given to you by us. Hopefully you're listening.
0: Yeah, you know, in my in my official opinion, we probably need to do a podcast, a greater podcast, a, a, an entire episode just on resources for beekeepers. Because, you know, again, we're highlighting today just a couple of magazines that have quite a wide readership here in the U.S. But we know we've got listeners from all around the world, from over 35 countries at the moment. And, and I think it's important that they know what resources are available to them. The benefit of these periodicals, these magazines, mm-hmm. is that they often come out with some regularity. It's not like a book that's frozen in time. No, it comes it's active. Out, it's yeah, coming exactly. out in
1: current yeah. times.
0: Yeah, n- nothing at all against books, but you know, when a book is published, it's basically the state of the knowledge up until that point, and then it stops. <laughs> I was in five about years, to say,
1: what have books ever done to you? <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: I, I love reading, but, but, but it's frozen, whereas these sure. periodicals play such an important role in you know, just specifically ABJ, American Bee Journal and Bee Culture, you know, they're published on a monthly basis here mm-hmm. in the U.S. And and likewise, outside the U.S., you know, the U.K. has its own popular journals, a few of them. One of them that comes to mind is Beecraft. Uh, South African beekeepers have their own beekeeping journal. The Australians have their own beekeeping journal, mm-hmm. right? And and the Germans have theirs. And so these these are important for beekeepers.
1: How would you recommend beekeepers go and look for them?
0: So, number one, in the for this particular episode we're going to have show notes you know on, on our website sure. for this particular episode where they can go and find specifically information about finding american bee journal and bee mm-hmm. culture but what i would do if i were a beekeeper outside the us or in any country for that matter i would google or do a search for my country's name bee journal and you might get a journal you might get a newsletter you mm-hmm. might get a newspaper there there have been beekeeping newspapers in the past for example german beekeeping journal um, um norwegian beekeeping journal sure. italian beekeeping journal and you're likely to find a periodical that's relevant to where you are and amy i want to say one more thing too you know w- you know we're highlighting again on our podcast to american bee journals, but it's important to know that you can learn a lot about beekeeping by reading bee journals from other countries. Mm -hmm. So so is this an American-centric Uh, podcast episode. No, I would argue that American Bee Journal and bee culture are important for beekeepers around the world. But likewise, I would argue that journals from other countries are important for beekeepers here. Beekeepers here in the U.S. could learn a lot by reading those journals. And and you don't always have to get a print copy. Some of these are available online.
1: Well, so that being said, you know, being available online versus Subscribing and actually getting a hard copy. How do you how do beekeepers actually get into that? How do you subscribe for this and um, I think you know, we mentioned a couple times later on that mentorship is huge. And so just being able to share that, I heard that over and over again. Um, So how do you subscribe and how do you move forward with getting these subscriptions? Yeah.
0: So I I would, again, search for my, you know, my country's name and Mm -hmm. then Bee Journal or Beekeeping Periodical. And then I would go to that Periodical's website and look uh, for subscription information. I know that some of the ones here in the U.S. offer kind of dual subscription. You get a print copy, but you also get online access. And, and you know what you're going to probably find, at least with the two journals that we're going to highlight today's episode. You're going to find that the readership is probably older than the standard readership. You know, a lot of the beekeepers here in the U.S. are, are older individuals, but there's beekeeping is booming at the moment. Absolutely. There's beekeepers coming mm-hmm. out of everywhere, and there's every age range and ethnic background and 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 and, and job background and education background mm-hmm. and gender background all people of all types mm-hmm. from all over the place are getting into beekeeping that's what and, i love about yeah beekeeping, of course actually and the journals are going to have to respond to that so yeah. right now they're they're very print heavy but trust me we we are heading in a direction well where, where there will be you know information available online through these sources blogs etc you know heck we're even doing a podcast you mm-hmm. know so i, I know that uh, other journals are going to follow suit and do very similar things
1: yeah well i'm excited to hear what eugene and jerry have to talk about today in our podcast
0: yeah absolutely guys thanks for joining us on two bees in the podcast and we're going to get those interviews started shortly after the break So Amy, one of the things that beekeepers across the United States um, have as a resource is they have periodicals, books, they have online access to all this type of information Mm -hmm. about honeybees and beekeeping. But one of the longest running resources available is the American Bee Journal. American Bee Journal is one of a couple of national periodicals, magazines that we have about beekeeping. I've I've been reading it since I was a kid.
1: Did you know that we actually have a copy of the very first um, magazine?
0: The, the very first American mm-hmm. Bee Journal, really?
1: We do. Someone donated it. Well,
0: you've been holding out on me. Well, it's <laughs> I didn't it's, know it's that. sitting
1: in the museum.
0: So. Okay. Well, maybe I yeah. should visit the museum every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> so, the American Bee Journal specifically, I've been fortunate to um, be a columnist. In fact, I, I wrote. One of my first publications, actually, in 1996, I believe, was published in the American Bee Journal, because I was an American Beekeeping Federation 4-H essay contest winner, and they published my essay in the ABJ in I didn't know you could write and
1: read when you were one. Yeah,
0: I've been doing this since I was a, a, a kiddo, <laughs> since I was one. That's actually when I graduated high school. Anyway. And then I became a columnist some years ago and wrote a, a, a column series called uh, Feel God to Beekeeping. And now I'm, I'm the question and answer guy for the American Bee Journal. I'm not sure how I got that job, but I do, I do my best. Well, for this segment, we have the guy who's at the very top, Eugene Makovec, who is the editor of the American Bee Journal. Eugene, welcome to Two Bees in a Podcast. Good morning. Hey, it's great great to have you. Where are you joining us from?
2: I'm joining you from Foley, Missouri, which is where I live. It's on the eastern side of Missouri, along okay. the Mississippi
0: River. Nice. Well, well, great. Well, let's
2: let's just kind of start from
0: the beginning. Can you give us, Eugene, a little bit about your uh, beekeeping background? How did you find yourself as the editor of the American Bee Journal? Sure. I, I, um, I started beekeeping in
2: 1996. Well, um, I'm actually <laughs> third-generation beekeeper. I grew up with bees never really had any interest in them when I was growing up, unfortunately, I could have gotten a head start but um <laughs> but um so I've been at this this would be my twenty fifth year i was I was pretty heavily involved in the Missouri state beekeepers, including editing the newsletter there and and um, got to know um, Joe Graham, the old editor of the of a b j and and run into the date and set uh, conferences and and things like that and they would occasionally pick up um Joe would occasionally pick up articles of mine from the Missouri Newsletter, so we knew each other at that point. And um, at some point, when 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 Joe retired, he they they ran an ad for an editor, and 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 I didn't I didn't see it. Um, I was you know like a lot of people, I, I I get a couple months behind in my reading and things like that. And I, I sent Joe an email about something, got an out of office response to the effect that. I'm no longer the editor. So, <laughs> so about a year later, I just happened to be chatting with uh, Gabe Dayant at, at a at a conference and um, and mentioned it to him and and um, was talking about this and that. And a couple of weeks later, uh, Kirsten Trainer, who was editor for about 14, uh, 15 months, stepped down and and uh, gave gave me a shout and said, "Are you interested in in the job?" So I came up there and and talked with them for a couple hours and they offered me the job so it was a it was a pretty neat thing and it was pretty pretty sudden and it actually worked out well for me because the the printing company that i was working for had had been bought out about a year prior and things were kind of kind of going downhill there so it's good timing for me
0: let me me ask then specifically so how long have you been at um
2: at abj so i took over um at Thanksgiving time in 2018, so, so just, going on a year and
0: a half. Okay, and so what is you know it's it's interesting when I think about journal editing. There's there's really kind of two parts to editing the American Bee Journal. First of all, you have to know the bee stuff, right? You, you've got to be able to vet that. You've got to know that. But secondly, you have to know how to write and edit other people's mm-hmm. writing. So so what what's your background in that half of the endeavor?
2: I, I have a journalism degree.
0: Okay. That's
2: helpful. So that yeah, that was. I had that kind of sitting on the shelf for a while. And <laughs> so that, that, that definitely comes in handy. So you were able uh, to take it off the shelf and dust it off
0: and, and then helped you out with ABJ.
2: Yeah. And and with my couple of decades of beekeeping experience, that helps. And and it's interesting that when when I met Joe Graham the first time, I I said, You've been here a while, right? And he said, Yeah, you know what? I I got out of journalism school answered an ad in the paper and I've been here ever since. Didn't know the first <laughs> thing about bees or beekeeping at the time. Really? <laughs> and of course he's been a beekeeper now for a few years, but sure. but I just thought that was that was interesting. That and then fun. and then you went from there to Kirsten uh, Trainer who was an entomologist. Sure. And so she had the other end of it. And I am somewhere in between. I I certainly have the beekeeping experience and with my work with the MSBA I attended a lot of conferences and you know listening to a lot of a lot of people like Jamie Ellis and people you know the experts talk about various things so I have a, a pretty good knowledge base I I feel in, in that regard
0: yeah so one of the things I appreciate as an author for the American Bee Journal especially you know now that I do the classroom um series oh is I appreciate that when I send you my manuscripts that, that you you show me uh, grammatical things that I can improve, which is good because I spend all of my time editing manuscripts for other people here at the University of Florida. So it's nice to have someone who's able to teach me a thing or two about uh, correct English English usage. So I think you do a good job, at least with the articles that I provide you. So thank you so much for that. Um, yeah,
2: I think that's important, too. That was something that, that I didn't get. When I would um, have things published in, in magazines, I I didn't really, I, I'd send something and the next time I saw it was in print. Sure. You know, it's nice to kind of get that feedback and I, I get a lot of people thank me for that. Sure.
0: So Eugene, that's a, that's a good overview of you and your involvement. But you've been mentioning a few times, you know, American Bee Journal. You've been mentioning the name Dateant, Gabe Dateant, 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 etc. So, so what is American Bee Journal's link to Dateant? What is the history of the journal?
2: The journal um, was started in 1861. Okay. Um, Wow. We're the, we're the old guys. Bee culture <laughs> didn't come along until about five years later or something. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're been around forever. <laughs> but, uh, S- Samuel Wagner was, a, was the first editor and, um, he was, um, with, with Langstroth and, and some of these other guys. And, and actually yeah, I wrote, wrote for them in the early days too. He's the guy who later started bee culture, but, um, but Wagner was the first editor and and after he stepped down, I'm not sure if he stepped down or, or if he died, but Langstroth actually was assistant editor along with Wagner's son for for a time before they before they moved on from there. That's cool. And and yeah. we and at some point, I think it was about oh, the late 1860s when um Danant um took over publishing the bee journal. Okay. And they've published it ever since. And also, and they also took over, um, Langstroth's, uh, Hive and the Honeybee sure, and still publish that. Um, that, the latest edition was 2015 it gets revised about every 15 to 20 years, give or take. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been in that date and family ever since. And, and the date and family, you know, obviously runs date and sons. Um, I'm working for sixth and seventh generation data that's ants. So incredible. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's a great thing. I mean, I I really feel like it's a, a stable a stable company to sure. work for. They're, I, they're, they're training the next generation.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the neat things about the American Bee Journal, the, uh, the hive and the honeybee that you mentioned, and, and just data in, in general because of the the link to the history of beekeeping here in the United States, but also around the world. I know that when I write articles for the American Bee Journal, I get people from outside the US asking me questions about things that I said. So I know it's 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 widely read.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the history and Jamie, you have people from around the world kind of reading some of this stuff on there. We have it all online. I was just wondering, I guess, who is reading these magazines? I mean, we have YouTube. <laughs> We've got YouTube, you know? I mean, exactly. so how how have you guys been able to just, through history and through time, been able to work with different audiences and who's reading this.
2: Yeah. And, and YouTube is YouTube can be a great source for this and a lot of other things, but it's, it's just a, um, YouTube and, and Facebook and some of these are other sources. It's just kind of hard to know what you're getting, especially, especially early on, you know, you and I can read, read, stuff on, on Facebook and, and whatnot and kind of pick through and know what makes sense and what does not. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. And I think that, um, the publications like, like ABJ and, and B culture and others, they're, they're, they're that kind of there to help you separate the wheat from the chaff when, mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. go through some of that information, we don't publish things unless it things, unless they make some kind of sense. Right. Um now now obviously different people have different opinions on a lot of things sure. but but if somebody sends me something that is just you know i read it and and it just sounds like nonsense you know it doesn't it doesn't make the journal or or if it does it's it's clear that it's an opinion and if i'm not sure about something i there are people that i know that I can, that i can run it by and and get opinions too.
1: Yeah. So the, the title has the name journal in it, right? And you're talking about how, are you ultimately the person who's reading this and vetting what is right and what's wrong, or how does that process work? Are these articles, you know, how does, how does it work?
2: Yeah. Depending on what it is, I, I typically, I typically am the one who, who decides, but again, like, like I said, if there's something that I'm unclear on, if there's something that I question, I go back and say, okay, can you show me support for this? What, what you're saying? Because this is something that's that's new to me and i'm not sure it makes sense please show me a back this up with, with some source to say that so this is true
0: so eugene one of the things that i appreciate about the journal is is as an extension worker who has an, an appointment extension i find it very difficult sometimes to reach commercial beekeepers they won't come to meetings they won't read documents and things like that and so um, I, I often wonder what's a good way to reach them. But if I put something in the ABJ, something, someone, some commercial beekeeper is going to have read it. In fact, when I bump into you know commercial beekeepers here in the state, Florida, and, and elsewhere, they'll mention to me things I said in the American Beekeeping, uh, the, Ameri- the American Bee Journal. And one of the things I think that's important is that is it's a resource for all beekeepers, right? There are kind of hobbyist-centric articles there. There are sideline-centric articles, but there's a lot of things that commercial beekeepers rely heavily on mm-hmm. in the pages of that journal. They read it and they they do it. You know, the stuff that they see is, is often published there, you know, first, and then they will change management practices as r- related to seeing that information in the journal.
2: Yeah, there's a... We, we try and appeal to a broad spectrum. The statement has been made that most... Most beekeepers are hobbyists, but most bees are owned by commercial mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So, if if we target only commercial beekeepers, the audience is going to be fairly small. Sure, but, but we also have to have that information that that they need because, like you said, they are reading these magazines for information on on how to be how to be better beekeepers and and they're reading for the science also. And you, Amy, you mentioned um, the the word journal being in our title. I've had people ask me that you know, this, say, you know, this has the word journal in the title, that means it's a scientific mm-hmm. publication, and these should be peer-reviewed articles in here, and that, and that's not really the case. know, um, so yes, a lot of journal can sometimes mean, yes, it's a scientific journal, but it's also another name for magazine. I mean, I don't think Ladies Home Journal, for example, was a peer-reviewed publication. <laughs> it's just one of those, it's just part of the name, and it's been there, all the all this time, and I'm not going to be the one to change it. But we do we do have some scientific things in there. Certainly, we don't typically publish peer-reviewed articles because not a lot of beekeepers want to slog through the the the, the, the scientific you know the deep science mm-hmm. like that. But they they also understand that it's important to them, and that's why we have people like um, Bill Scott McGart and Ally McAfee that. That have regular columns going through some of the latest scientists and and basically distilling it down saying this is what it means and th- this is, you know yeah. what it's what it's gonna look like in the future. You know, there's some cutting edge research going on and people say, Oh my goodness, we're gonna be able to just put mushrooms in our in our hives now and, and kill sure. the ro- sure. Wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> kind of explain, you know, hey, you know, there's there's something there, but you know. See us in a couple of years. Yeah, it about. takes
0: time. Sure. Well, let me let me make a, a statement, then I'm going to ask you a question. You know, when when I first became a scientist and started dabbling in, in research, you know, almost two decades ago now, American Bee Journal did publish uh, refereed manuscripts at the end of the journal. I remember there was like a, a research section, and a lot of the articles that were going there were very, uh, you know, a- applied, right, very beekeeper friendly that's that's only it's one of the few things that i really miss about the journal i, I enjoyed having those in there and, and abj is a venue for publishing but it's neat still though that your your columnists will read refereed manuscripts and distill that information to beekeepers i mean that's extension at work so let me let me ask you a question so when, when a reader receives an american bee journal and they open its covers What types of things are found in the ABJ's pages? You know, walk us through a standard journal from beginning to kind of end. What what regular columns do you have? How do you you know invite certain topics to fill in your your more open articles? What's just what's in the pages of the American Bee Journal?
2: Okay. Well, first, first, let me let me just um, address what you said about the rough articles in sure. the back because I I remember seeing those two back when I started. I I asked Joe Graham about this one when, when I took this job. I spent a week working with Joe. Um, he kind of popped out of retirement to, sure. to help do an issue, and I came in at the end of that at that time. And I mentioned that to him, and he said, Yeah, you know, we had a a peer reviewed section um for a while and um his comment was nobody read it. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously obviously you read it and some people <laughs> did, but yeah. I I I think it just there wasn't a, a big audience for that among the, the the general readership. So so um the science isn't is important, but we do more of a distilled down version of sure, these things. Sure. But the typical um the typical um magazine when it comes out you you open it up and you find um, um, beyond just the, the the letters to the other and stuff. We have the classroom where you know Jerry Hayes did that for years and years and and um, and Amy just just for your for your information, it it took me a little. Finagling to talk Jamie into taking this over, oh yeah I ran it by him, and he was kind of well. Let me think. And, you yeah, know, you re- know, it's <laughs> it's
0: hard to take on additional responsibilities. That's yeah, I, that I loved exactly. I loved writing the field guide for beekeeping for ABJ. I still would love to restart that, but it just kept me up until two and three in the morning mm-hmm. putting those articles together. Yeah. So it was just tough. But the classroom's easier <laughs> yeah, every, because I answer takes questions. Time. <laughs> yeah, the classroom's a little bit easier because essentially for you listeners out there, the classroom is just a question and answer. You email me. Questions and I'll do my best to answer them that's that's the strategy there
2: <laughs> yeah but you're doing a great job with it we really you've you you're been well received oh, good. and we have we have things like um, you know the, the the columns I mentioned Allie and and Scott with their scientific columns we've got mm-hmm. Randy Oliver is a big draw and has been for for a few years now he's he's kind of a Kind of an on-the-ground um, researcher. He's a commercial beekeeper, and and he does a lot of research on um, applied, kind of an applied science thing. And and it's not it's not peer-reviewed. And and you know he's open, and we're open about that. But sure. it's something that that a lot of people flip that magazine open, and that's the first thing they read because they they like that he's one he's one of us. Sure. You know? He's not just in a lab somewhere, sure. but we, we have a lot of things. Um, I get a lot of things sent to me just, just out of the blue. And that was one of the things that, that surprised me just how much comes across my desk and some of it's great. Some of it, you know, not so much, you know, and, 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 um, but a lot of it, we really like to do kind of the how-to stuff, you know, sure. how to build this, how to how to design, you know, put, put this attachment on my hive to keep hive beetles out and, sure. and various things like that. And people find that kind of thing interesting. And that was one of the things Joe told me early on. People just want to be better beekeepers and they sure. want to know what they can do to to improve their chances and, and produce more honey and, and things like that. So we have a lot of those... Those types of articles, but don't you what also means, yeah,
0: management related. But don't you guys also, if if I'm not mistaken, you have honey market um, article. You have, um, you know, your editorial. You guys also make announcements on behalf of the bee clubs around the country. You know who's speaking where, what events are coming up, yeah. things like that as well.
2: Yeah, we have the we have news and events. Yep. Um, that's that's a popular thing, and we have clubs all over sending sure. us their their events, mm-hmm. and you know. March 21st we've got such and such a conference and we put that in we have an online calendar where we put those things also
1: Yeah so I'm just wondering how often these magazines come out I should know so, that but yeah. I don't
2: Yeah it's a, it's a monthly it's a monthly it, it actually um there was a time um when ABJ was a weekly magazine one of our one of our regular columnists Wyatt, Wyatt Mangum writes a lot about history of beekeeping historical beekeeping equipment and various things and he had an article a while back about uh, I think he called it one ABJ was weekly and <laughs> he's talking about how it was a, a completely different magazine a hundred years ago or sure. something you know it's it's, uh, it's funny how things have changed.
0: Yeah, so basically, I think it's fair to say if 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 it is a topic related to beekeeping or apiculture, it 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 will show up at some point in the journal, right? Prices, yes. questions, mm-hmm. research, new gadgets—all those kinds of things show up in its pages.
2: Yeah, and we do occasionally talk about other bees, other pollinators, and things. One of our columnists, Rusty Berlew, is is um, really big on. Um, on the native the native insects and she native pollinators she writes things now and then she actually works for a um a website called iNaturalist, which sure. is something that i've used in the past you know i go around the yard and, and take photos about of, of, of various things i look for honeybees and i find all these other things and i don't know what the heck they are mm-hmm. and i go on this i naturalist and, mm-hmm. and they identify them. they have volunteers who identify them for you and and rusty is one of these people that that does that and, and so she's got a, a broad knowledge on on honeybees and every other type of bee or wasp imaginable and how they how they differ and i think that's interesting to beekeepers on you know on a now and then basis sure.
0: well let me let me ask kind of a, a a conclusion type question so what does the future of the american bee journal look like how how How's it going to look 20, 30, 40 years from now? What role do you think it's going to play in yeah. beekeeping?
2: I think I would like to think that we're still going to be a print magazine at that point, but you never know. You know, things are moving more and more to digital. I I still like to to spread out a newspaper in front of me and 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 read some, read a hard copy of something. Mm-hmm. But beekeeping, of course, is is changing. I, I would also like to think that. We won't be talking about varroa mite on a monthly basis anymore. That'd be but nice. That, yeah. That's wishful thinking. Yep. But we're we're always going to have those challenges, and we're always going to have the need for for good resources to to help to address those those challenges. I think that um, we're going to have more and more um, digital resources probably as well, and and hopefully we'll be a part of that. Okay. Yeah,
0: I mean, as I've shared with you, I really believe that American Bee Journal has an important role in helping beekeepers. Beekeepers read it. They change their management based on what they read in the pages. And honestly, that's to me, that's one of the biggest rewards that I can see um, from from subscribing to it, right? You learn stuff that makes you a better beekeeper. You learn tricks of the trade. And and It connects you to the greater world of beekeeping and lets you know what's going on out there. And Mm so, Eugene, I really appreciate your time joining us. Uh, You've been a great uh, guest here on Two Bees and a Podcast.
2: All right. Thanks for
0: having me. Absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Eugene Makovec. He is the editor of the American Bee Journal. Look it up online. Subscribe to it. You will not be sorry.
3: Have questions or comments? Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at UF Honeybee Lab.
0: So, Amy, I am kind of super duper excited. Super
1: duper excited? Yeah, super
0: duper excited because <laughs> it, well, for a couple reasons. Reason number one, in this particular segment, we are continuing our discussion on some of the, the national periodicals that are shaping beekeeping here in the U.S., and that one being bee culture. That's the first reason I'm excited to talk, talk about bee culture. But I'm even more excited because the editor of Bee Culture, Jerry Hayes, is a friend of mine, a personal friend of mine, who, who I've known for, gosh, I don't know, 15, almost 18 or so years. He and I worked together here in Florida when he was here as the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Apiary Inspection Head and then when he went on and worked in industry, and I even know him today, so I'm really, really excited. Sounds to have him like on board.
1: sounds like you guys are besties. Yeah, I've BFFs. You yep. <laughs> BFF. Do you guys yep. have like friendship bracelets?
0: Yeah. You yep. see it here? No.
3: <laughs> so <laughs> that, for you... That $100 a month payment to Jamie really works that's out. That's really. right.
0: Well, so, so just to give the listeners some background, we're joined today by Jerry Hayes, who is the editor of Bee Culture. That is why he's here on our Two Bs in a Podcast. I'm going to try hard to keep all of my questions related to bee culture even though there's so much i want to talk to jerry about because i know him so well hey jerry how are you doing
2: good
3: no and thank you for this this is exciting to be able to do this with you and 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 see amy there and uh, think about uh, our history together this is great
0: yeah so jerry just as a as a quick caveat we're going to have you on future episodes of two beads in a podcast talking about all kinds of the stuff that you know and have done for the beekeeping industry but today i'm going to do my best to keep it to just an interview about bee culture. So before we get into bee culture specifically, can you briefly tell me your journey into beekeeping and what led you to be the editor of bee culture?
3: Oh, I don't know that I can do this uh, quickly, (laughs) but let me, okay, here we go. Um, I started out in life as a high school teacher and I hated it. And (laughs) so went into another business And had a guy working with me who was a beekeeper, a beekeeper from Wisconsin. And I thought, well, this is very cool. Everybody knows about honeybees, but nobody actually knows a beekeeper because this was many years ago. Before beekeeping uh, was cool, right, Jerry? Before <laughs> beekeeping was cool, and and have somebody say there was a beekeeper was just a
0: little bit weird. And then um, there's a place called Wisconsin.
3: Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he had a cheese thing on his head, yeah, okay. and so, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, but uh, so you know, it was interesting, and so I kind of picked his brain and asked all the questions that you know, somebody might ask and became more interested and fascinated. And then I started reading things and, and short story is I turned into the consummate backyard beekeeper. I did all the things backyard beekeepers do. I made things. I, I squished Queens. I did, you know, (laughs) all the things that you do. And so I thought at one point, this is pretty cool. And my passion had <laughs> grown, can I, I mean, could I actually take care of a family, you know, provide for family doing this? And so, you know, I had a very patient life and uh, uh, went back to school uh, to uh, Ohio State University, had an apiculture program back there under Dr. Jim too. Sure. And uh, uh, that probably was one of the top three or four things I have ever done in my life. It was, it was great. Jim was great. Um, motivated me even more and it was, yeah, it was fantastic. And so then I went to, uh, uh, USDA bee breeding and stock lab in Baton Rouge for okay. a little while, and then, uh, up the river to uh, daydant and sons, uh, for quite a few years where I started, uh, writing the classroom and wrote the book, the classroom, mm-hmm. and then uh, had the opportunity to go to, uh, uh Florida. And uh fill the role of chief of the apiary inspector in section uh after uh Mr. Cuts. And then uh uh from there I went to shh I won't tell anyone Monsanto.
0: Yeah, I was a hon- <laughs> I was a honeybee. I wasn't uh,
1: expecting healthy. that
0: one. <laughs> you know this is a podcast for beekeepers, don't you, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> well you we can cut that part out uh,
3: <laughs> and so no but i was a honeybee health lead and so the they had a technology at the time uh, using uh, rnai mm-hmm. uh, which we can talk about or not um and uh, you know it was a big company with a lot of money and uh, you know some people beat me up but some people thought i was good for me to be there as an ambassador for the industry sure. and so mm-hmm went from there and uh now i'm uh you know it's kind of my my swan song here i think is uh had the opportunity to become editor of golly Bee culture magazine which has unbelievable history associated yeah, it
0: does. Yeah. with
3: it um and uh and and be able to learn and, and work with beekeepers in a different way so this is pretty exciting so jerry
0: let's let's talk specifically about that history of bee culture you know just just as a quick aside you know i've been keeping bees since i was 12 and my mentor liked bee culture that's the magazine he preferred so he he taught me into subscribing to it so it carried me through all of my early beekeeping years as I read the, read the pages of this journal. So it's funny to know that bee culture even predates me. So let's talk a little bit about the history. What do you know about the history of bee culture?
3: Well, you know, and, and there's a lot of history to bee culture, and it all starts with A.I. Root sure. uh, in Medina, Ohio, uh, who kind of accidentally fell into beekeeping too by uh, – he was a jeweler in Medina and had a swarm – uh, land on his building, he captured a squirm, uh, tried to put it in a hive, it flew away. Anyway, he became more fascinated as well with honeybees and got into and became a beekeeper. And he was an amazing entrepreneur also. Sure. Uh, he started making uh, you know beekeeping equipment uh, because this was the late 1800s and, and none of this had solidified uh, as yet and then with that engagement he started writing uh you know uh, questions and answers answering people and decided to kind of formulate that into something more specific and and started the the magazine v culture magazine uh and it's been in the uh the family uh, ever since uh kim flottam uh, who i you can never replace kim flottam but whoever i took the place of kim <laughs> flottam um, you know, was here for 34 years, wow. uh, and then there was, uh, you know, DeMuth before him and just all sorts of people that have been connected to the beekeeping industry, um, you know, for ooh,
0: over a hundred years. Well, Jerry, do you happen to know how many volumes and issues of bee culture have been published? I have no earthly <laughs> idea. So what, what year did it start? Was it in the 1860s? Yeah. eighteen sixties.
3: What a lucky
0: guess. <laughs> We just, <laughs> and
3: so it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because we have across the road is the big candle factory, yeah. which used to be the, the beekeeping supply where they cut woodenware. In anyway, anyways candles now. But up on the third floor, which is kind of quiet and like the twilight zone up there, they have boxes and boxes and boxes of past issues of bee culture. Oh, wow. Um uh yeah for instance yeah I was I was up there looking around and you get all the bird droppings off things and everything else and <laughs> you'll have a whole box a whole box of 1933 wow or a whole box of 1945 or a whole, and it's it's incredible
0: that we have to me this history and we we need to preserve that summer. Sure I completely agree I know a, I know a brand new beekeeping museum in Florida <laughs>
1: So I'm wondering who's who's reading Bee Culture. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness!
0: <laughs> now that's are the funniest serious? thing ever. So hey, Jerry apparently sounds like hey, hey Siri,
1: Siri. My phone just went off. It's going to go
0: off again. They are listening and they're
1: watching. Okay.
0: <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Jerry, I'll see if I can do what Amy couldn't.
1: <laughs> Wait, let me try one more time.
0: <laughs> who who reads Bee Culture? So we actually and Kim
3: Flannum <coughs> had done this. Several times, about every five or six years, do a survey of who is reading, which is a great thing. And so our readers are primarily um, 55 years and older. Okay. Uh, they have retired or getting close to retirement, have moved to the country. You know, are probably my age, uh, read the Mother Earth news in 1975 and <laughs> wanted to save the world back then. And now beekeeping allows them uh, to, to try to do that. So it's, it's primarily hobby, backyard, some commercial uh, beekeepers who, there again, have this new passion for honeybees in the environment and uh, bee culture uh, fills that uh, interest uh, and need for them.
0: But bee culture is read around the world, right? I mean, how many countries do you ship bee culture to? I'm curious. About 40. Wow.
1: Wow. Yeah. How do you, I'm just wondering as far as how you did your evaluation, because that's kind of my specialty. How do you go, how do you give out the surveys?
3: Oh, yeah. So, of course, we have um, the list of subscribers uh, and uh, with their email addresses or their postal addresses. And we just send them all out. We have about 15,000 subscribers. Wow. And so the data is actually pretty decent. Certainly not all 15,000 respond, but we have enough that we're pretty confident that it's, that's what it is. That's
0: amazing. So someone grabs uh, a copy or an issue of Bee Culture, they open its pages and what do they find? What, what types of uh, columns are in there? What, what types of information are published on its pages?
3: Yeah, and and so, and let me just step back here because Kim did an outstanding job for 34 years, but this is Jerry and I have some other needs, wants, and desires
0: sure.
3: uh, for this. Um, so what we're going to be doing, of course, is uh, addressing uh, new beekeepers' uh, needs, uh, different hive styles. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Jay Evans who writes a column. Dr. Clarence Collison writes a column. I have Joe Trainer, who's in the almond industry out west writing a new column. Uh, just have for, I was just putting together the May issue and we have uh, Dr. Becky Masterson from Masterman from uh, uh, University of Minnesota is going to be writing columns. And this is all um, basically to, this is educational outreach. My goal one and, and desire is for beekeepers to be successful. Sure. Um, and there are too many places to go on the web that are a little shaky. And so I want people to have trust and confidence in bee culture that the information and the authors there uh, will help them be successful.
0: So do you have like question and answer sections? Do you have like what biology topics, management topics? I, I remember when I was a kid, my mentor really preferred the honey market. Um section he would often price his honey based on what he was seeing in that honey mark so so tell us a little bit about the content uh of, of the columns
3: yeah and so um here and i'll just in fact like i said i was i was putting together the may issue already and so we have um of course the contents which is features then we have mail sure. um people write in articles so then we so have
0: letters to the editor essentially
3: letters to the editor yep. And then I have the editor's page, and and Kim was much better than I am about writing about the meeting he went to or what have you. And so, as you know, I'm, I'm kind of mixing this up. I did an interview with you, and I've done yep. some other interviews. This one's going to be more like my question and answer that used to be in the, in the classroom. Sure. Then we have the Honey Report: What's yep. going on? What's selling? And then next month which is kind of telling readers, what do I need to do in May? Yep, that's you know, because all these new beekeepers, then we have the formal class question answer section called bee talk, which I, this uh, month or for May, uh, have Bob Sears okay. from yep. Missouri, uh, Kim Scrim from Massachusetts. And I forget who the other person was. Uh, oh, uh, Mary Reed from Texas. i yep. um, going to answer a couple of questions. Uh, then we have uh, um, new products uh, that uh, we want to highlight. And then a new one that I wanted to start um, is, um, go, and I don't know what the title is going to be, but it's uh, AIA is helping me out with this. And so what we're going to do is, is highlight each state's apiary inspector.
0: Sure, that's uh, a good idea. A little bit
3: of what they do in their state and, and what have you. So that's going to be a series as well. And then we have Jay Evans in his column. And then I have John Miller, a commercial beekeeper from out west commenting on almond pollination. Then another new series I'm starting uh, is focused on Canada and research out of Canada. Um, And then, uh, for instance, we have, uh, the next one is uh, 10 rules of of, uh, communicating pesticide rules. And then I have Clarence Collison Becky Masterman from uh, um, University of Minnesota. Then I have Tina Sebastian, who's done a series on horizontal beekeeping. Uh, then we have a Jim Toos column that's been in there forever. Everybody loves Jim. Sure. Um, and then we have Eric Osterlin from Norway talking about a million dollars that Norway got for Varroa Control. Connie Krokmall, who's going to do what blooming in spring. Ann Harmon's column. Then I have a, another one on just kind of a one pager on what is propolis and why might it have, um, you know, some some uh, value to not only bees but beekeepers. And so that's kind of what I'm shooting for, but a little bit different, of course. Every month, I don't want to, I don't want to be boring.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty incredible. We, that's a huge diversity of topics in any month. That's going to change. And as you said, you're already in over 40 countries, so. So clearly there's stuff in the pages of bee culture that readers want to see, right? I mean, when I read it, and when, when I read it as a kid, and when I hear my colleagues reading it now, they're learning things about keeping bees. It's clearly appealing to people around the world. So what role then, in general, do you believe that bee culture plays in beekeeping today, but as well as beekeeping in the next 20 to 50 to 100 years?
3: Great questions. Um, I, I think there again, it's educational outreach, uh, providing accurate information, and perhaps even causing people to pause and and think uh, about the industry, about what they're doing, about how it's connected to the environment, um, because you know this this isn't a, a static uh, hobby or or profession or, sure. or anything else and and then in the in the future um yeah certainly would like uh, to have bee culture be the premier beekeeping magazine uh, that people say oh did you see that in in bee culture Uh, not that i don't love uh, american bee journal or or eugene uh, but uh, my goal here is to be the the best and um Mm -hmm. you know
0: that's my goal
1: that's our goal too
0: (laughs) Well, good, Amy. I'm glad you said, that.
1: <laughs> Jerry. So, I was just wondering, as far as the content that's being released, who vets that information? Is that just you? Do you have a group of people going through and reading drafts? And you know, you're laughing right now at me. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Do you make everything? You, up? You, Is everything the, a lie?
0: Are you the gatekeeper, Jerry?
3: I yeah, you know, and <laughs> and I, the reason I smiled was because Amy asked me a question that. That made me pause because you know, we we all talk and you on the six o'clock news and everything else about oh teams and have you vetted this with this person? Sure, and, yeah, like, yeah. and and I have to admit, I haven't done any of that.
1: <laughs> That's um, fair. I'm so, glad you're being so honest. You, you're I, the
0: omniscient no. editor. <laughs> well, I don't Omnipotent know. Omnipotent and, and on, um. <laughs> Omnipresent, you're everywhere, all-knowing, and the ultimate authority, Jerry, just
3: like Santa
0: Claus. (laughs) (laughs) It's not who I was thinking, but I was maybe, maybe so. (laughs) But no, and and to get back to that,
3: this has been fun for me because these are things that I think are valuable and important, and then I get. These other people to express their their ideas down that path. And and for me right now, hopefully it's fun and hopefully it's it's readable and valuable to to those reading it.
0: Yeah, That's I mean, great. I I don't doubt for a second that it is. I, I told Eugene, the editor of American Bee Journal, when we were interviewing him, you know, I, I run into commercial beekeepers quite a bit, you know, you know, hobbyists and sidelines, et cetera. But they, they will often know me from the pages of the journal, and 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 when I publish in ABJ or in the past when I published in Bee Culture, I'd have colleagues or beekeepers really from around the world contact me and say, "Hey, I saw you publish this article." And I have this question. So, you know, these are important resources for beekeepers, Mm -hmm. not just in the States, but absolutely everywhere. And so, you know, you as the editor of Bee Culture, you're you're carrying on a tradition, right? Bee Culture has a very storied, respected tradition, Mm -hmm. but, but it's also beyond just tradition management. It's important to have bee culture now to help beekeepers address the issues that they are having today. And it's nice to see that you also have a strategy for developing that. Further in the future, so let's talk a little bit more about the future. I mean, right now you're a print magazine, and a lot of people are going online and blogs, and Twitter, and Facebook, and Instagram, and, and online periodicals. What 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 do you plan to do? You mentioned your readership's 55 and older, but that won't always be the case, right? A lot of these new beekeepers are yeah,
1: they'll be super, 75. Yeah, <laughs> <older>. <laughs> that's
0: right. A lot of these new beekeepers are, are are young. How do you get bee culture into their hands? How do you use technology? What's your plan for moving it in that direction?
3: Yeah, no, and and that's exactly where we're going because we have hard copies because some people just like hard copies, sure. the older ones. But but as as, as we all die, that's going to that's going to oh, morph geez. a little bit. Um, and and yeah, so we have a digital edition uh, that we're working on, and and I don't know if you're familiar with Catch the Buzz. Yep, that's our daily digital thing that goes out to ooh, golly about forty thousand wow. people. Wow um and so we're we're doing that and i get there again i sound like a hitler or something Mm -hmm. here um i I get to pick out those articles and and format those and pick the pictures out and and what have you uh for those those daily releases but yes you're right The, the the digital component of this uh has to grow should grow And in in concert with that, one of the things I wanted to do with the magazine was was make the articles um, smaller, shorter. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, those the days of what everything was five and six pages and no pictures. um, Nobody cares. Um, Mm -hmm. So my goal is. I care, Jerry. I care. (laughs) Well, I do you have a subscription? Amy. <laughs> uh,
1: we'll get one soon.
0: <laughs> well, Jay, I like that as a, as an author, that's actually appealing to me because I've I've always felt you know compelled to write these long articles to be thorough, but I like mm-hmm. the idea of you know writing two or three or four page articles and filling them with pictures that saves the writing. So oh yeah, no, it, it and, and, helps. And
3: picture, yeah, no, you're right because we're all visual creatures, mm-hmm. and I I envision people sitting down and thumbing through Bee Culture, and if it's all just print, no nobody's going to do that in yeah, 2020 sure. so you got to you got to have some pictures big pictures get their attention for 3 seconds and maybe then get them to to read the article or and the and the headline has to be a little bit different so you know i hate to say this but but every magazine and every article is a product and how do you make that product appealing to the, to the customer Mm -hmm.
0: so that they'll take advantage of the product. Yeah. Well, Jerry, let me, let me ask you one last question then. So how, how do our listeners find and subscribe to B culture?
3: Well, yeah, no, you can go to, you know, www.bculture.com and that's our website. And it will have information about, uh, you know, subscriptions and, and do you want the digital, do you want the hard copy? Uh, do you want to sign up for catch the buzz? And can I, can I be, can I be capitalistic here for a sure second thing? All right. So generally, no socialist here. Uh, generally, <laughs> an a year subscription to Bee culture is like 25 bucks. Okay. For those listening into this podcast, <laughs> I'll cut that in half to 1250.
0: Whoa. What? If you're listening to two bees in a podcast, you could subscribe to be culture. <laughs> Wait, what if 20? you're a
1: host? Do I get a quarter? Do I get to pay a quarter of the price?
0: <laughs> yeah. Divvy it up with Jamie. Six yeah. bucks. <laughs> Well, Jerry, I really appreciate you joining us today on Two Bees in a Podcast. Listening to what you talk about with bee culture and the value it is to beekeepers is really great. And I just just thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us.
3: Oh, golly, no, I'm thanking you for this opportunity. And, and you know, there again, I have to think how much how much fun has it been What have we been
0: able to do and experience because of honeybees? I know. Mm -hmm. And it's not not even over, Jerry. It's not even over. Nobody gets
3: to do that. And (laughs) we travel the world because of honeybees. And honeybees impacts our our lives and our environment. I just get goosebumps every
0: day. Jerry, we're doing a podcast on honeybees, (laughs) which is not something I thought I'd say when I was (laughs) 10 or 15. But nevertheless, Jerry, thank you for joining us. Jerry Hayes is the editor of Bee Culture. Thanks again, Jerry. Thank you. Appreciate it.
3: It's everybody's favorite game show, Stomp the Chump.
1: All right. It's about that time. It's our question and answer time. Here we are. Jamie, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting in my closet right now because it's coronavirus time and we just have to work from home. So we're just going to continue.
0: So just to let people know, though, we're in our respective closets, not because we're hiding from the virus. <laughs> that's
1: right. It's good to clarify. That. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're we're in our respective closets because that's the quietest, best place in the house to record. In Amy's case, I guess you tried some other rooms and it was echoey. In my case, I have four children and a wife who are somewhere around the house. So if I hide out in my closet, <laughs> the clothes will muffle the sound a bit and hopefully keep the sound quality high and <laughs> the background noise low in addition to keeping the uh, coronavirus outside of our house. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. Okay, so we have a couple of questions from the audience and our listeners, and the first question we have is about Africanized honeybees. So this person, Stephen, on Twitter, 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 Twitter,
0: Twitter. <laughs> just created something,
1: <laughs> <laughs> asked, so they want to know more about African honeybees, and, and they're wondering, why doesn't the African honeybee gene pool get watered down as they mate with more varieties in the U.S.? It seems like maybe their genetics must be pretty dominant.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of information to know here, and I'm going to just try to answer it as quickly as I can. But, but the short answer is, kind of, we started a little bit from the beginning. You know, we work with Apis mellifera. That's the Western honeybee. Its natural mm-hmm. distribution is Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. So starting with that background, African bees are simply African subspecies of the same honeybees that we keep. So, we tend to call our bees European honeybees. That just simply means that they came from Europe hundreds of years ago. They're more appropriately called European derived honeybees. They're no longer European, they haven't been there for hundreds of years. The same is true for African bees. You know, we keep African derived honeybees, but because the African subspecies of honeybees are the same species, as the European subspecies of honeybees, they can completely hybridize. So then specifically to your question, how are African bees so successful? Why don't they uh, have traits that get watered down? Well, there's a lot of things that contribute to the perpetuation of kind of the African bee phenotype expression of the traits in this particular bee. Just, just going down a quick list, you know, their, their genes are dominant. For example, defensiveness. When you cross a general European honeybee, with a, with a more defensive African honeybees, you tend to get a more defensive hybrid, not a gentle hybrid. Simple things such as uh, their offspring develop faster. Our typical worker bees will develop in 21 days. African worker bees will develop in about 20 days. The same is true for queens. Their queens will develop faster than ours. So imagine a situation where you've got a, a queen in your colony that's mated with 10 European drones and one African drone, and they go queenless you know, statistically, the odds are that if they go to make a queen, that the queens from the African lineage will develop faster than the queens from the European lineage, so they'll emerge first. So it's a lot of little things like this that compound, that ultimately skew the pendulum in favor of African bees Um, to the exclusion of European bees. So as a result, you tend to get this perpetuation of the African bee in the environment. They they also swarm a lot more, so they produce a mess load, more colonies, you know, they produce more drones per colony proportionately than our our colonies do. So just these little factors are just a few of the things that they do that collectively push things in the direction of, of the perpetuation of this particular subspecies. You would think Superficially, that they should be watered down quickly, but the opposite is actually true. They 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 just are a strong bee. Where they can survive, they quickly become the dominant subspecies of honeybee present, or the dominant uh, uh, derived honeybee from that particular subspecies.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like the survival of the fittest, really. Yeah,
0: they're an amazing bee. They really truly are.
1: Awesome. Okay, so for our next question, is checking a hive once a week or even more than that is that bad for the colony? How often should be should we be going through it and you know how often is too often
0: well i I tell people who ask me that question this is usually a very beginner beekeeper question am i working my bees too much and i always tell people if you're a brand new beekeeper that first year don't worry about working your bees too much you know going into your colonies will teach you a lot you'll get to experience a lot with the bees you'll enjoy the work you'll learn a lot about them but by the time you know you're rocking and rolling that second season generally speaking you go into your colonies you know once every 1 to 2 weeks during production season that's usually spring and early summer when they're making her honey mm-hmm. usually about every 2 to 3 weeks in summer and maybe every 3 to 4 weeks uh in fall and then you usually only go about once a month in winter and that's more kind of standard practices i mean we actually have a document that i wrote for the american bee journal some years ago that that talk about the time requirements of working honeybees and we can make sure in uh, share a link to that document in the notes section so that people who are interested in, you know, how much time does it take to work colonies and how much time should I invest in working colonies? They, they can have those answers kind of in that document that, that I developed some years ago.
1: Awesome. And we'll share that in the additional notes and resources. Good deal. So that leads me, I guess, to the last question of the Q&A sec- segment. Um, and that is Right now, I mean, if you aren't checking your bees right now in Florida, as we record, there are a lot of swarms that are happening. So can you talk about what to do if a swarm happens? I mean, some people don't actually want to either split or to catch swarms, but what do you do when you you start seeing all these swarms and you'd only really plan on having one or two colonies?
0: Yeah, so, you know, just for point of reference for our listeners, we are recording this kind of in late March 2020, so that's the beginning of our swarm season in Florida, but it doesn't really matter when your respective swarm season start, you're going to have a swarm season. So if you're you're a beekeeper and, and you don't want more colonies and you've got to practice swarm control, you really need to stay on top of that. In fact, in my opinion, one of the pillars of bee management is effective swarm control. You want your bees to stay put so that you can maximize the number of bees that you have in that colony to do the work uh, that they need to do. And incidentally, bees most want to swarm when you least want them to. They they Mm -hmm. prefer to swarm during honey production season, which is when you need them most to be home. So we've got another good document on swarm management techniques we can put in the show notes. But one of the things I want to say is what happens if you're out there and you're not a beekeeper and a swarm shows up on your property, you know, a a colony establishes in a tree trunk and a wall of a house, et cetera, what should you do? Well, there's a couple of options for you. You can contact a beekeeper who hopefully will have some experience um, um, providing swarm or colony removal services for you. And incidentally, given that in some states, swarm removal or colony removal is considered pest control, you need to make sure that if that's the case in your state, the beekeepers are trained and carry all the appropriate licenses or insurance, et cetera, because they they might be considered quote, practicing pest control. It, so you can contact beekeepers. They'll, they'll come and often try to remove those colonies live. You know, they wanna get those bees and rehabilitate them, put them in their colonies and ma- or hives and, and manage them further. The second option is you can contact a pest control operator. So if bees show up in your wall or chimney or, or tree, et cetera, you contact a pest control operator and they're going to come out and eradicate the bees. And so usually you have those two options. You have beekeepers who will provide the removal services and pest control operators who will provide the eradication services. In both cases, you wanna make sure that the individuals involved are adequately trained and insured and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And incidentally, Amy, as you know, we've got quite a few documents on this uh, topic that we can put in the show notes as well. So from the beekeeper's perspective, you'll want to control swarming. From the homeowner and you know business owner whoever's perspective if you've got swarms or colonies moving in you need to have those dealt with as well so it's important to know what to do kind of on both ends of this particular spectrum
1: yeah absolutely and i feel like that's my number one call or email or you know request inquiry from people is just that they have a swarm and it's it's coming and they don't know what to do about it yeah, so I mean, I if,
0: yeah it. if you're not a beekeeper it's freaky right you have yeah. this colony move into your property you're not sure what to do but responsibly, you, you should either contact a beekeeper, which of course would be our recommendation, the beekeeper's training can remove it safely, or contact a pest control operator.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. And with Absolutely. the listeners out there, you know, thanks for your patience. The sound quality isn't going to be exactly like what it's been like in the studio, but we're trying our best to put out content and continue putting out content. Uh, hey, during get those this questions time. coming, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'd like to give an extra special thank you to the following. To our editors, Shelby Howell and Bailey Carroll, and to our audio engineer, James Weaver. Without their hard work, two bees in a podcast would not be possible. So thank you.
0: For more information and additional resources for today's episode, don't forget to visit the UF-IFAS Research and Extension Laboratory's website, ufhoneybee.com. Do you have questions you won't answer it on air? If so, email them to honeybee at ifis.ufl.edu or message us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at UF Honeybee Lab. While there, don't forget to follow us. Thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast.